Hey, this is Rob, and this is episode 67 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. All right, I am here with Zach Vra, and I don't know exactly what to say of, usually I go so-and-so of this, and so I'm going to go with how I know Zach Vra first. Zach Vra of Rosemount High School Football is where we first met. Actually, we didn't meet at that point. We just played against each other. Uh, I first met you at the Twin Cities Donut Brawl. So you're Zach Vra of the one of the co-founders of the Twin Cities Donut Brawl, and also as of this year, A to Z Creamery. Uh, but the first time I met you, you reached out. Uh, we need a coffee supplier for the Twin Cities Donut Brawl, and I go, "Wait a second, I recognize this name." I go, "Did you play? You play football?" And he said, "Yeah." I go, "Yeah, you were like a badass wide receiver in, uh, in high school," <laughs> and uh, I I got to. Um, roommate with Garrett Glouse. Shout out Garrett at the uh, Minnesota All-Star football game. And I was, uh, and I, I reached out to him and I go, do you know him? He's like, yeah, of course I know. So I thought that was really funny that we had weirdly enough met all the way back in like 2008, uh, played football against each other and it goes full circle. And now I'm serving coffee at your Twin Cities Donut Brawl. And now it's awesome to see all the things you're doing here. Yeah, the first time we meet now is in the food industry <laughs> we both started out in sports well and that's the funniest part to me is i want to go back to your story because i think you've got a pretty unique story uh, in terms of like food and beverage and how you got into it uh you've got the instagram page raw money eats raw money underscore eats yep. where you are famous for the donut walk obviously donut is a big focus of that but burgers food everything in between mm-hmm. let's go all the way back so you have a really kick-ass high school football career you then go off to play at North Dakota State, one of, if not the top AA program in the country, for six years, battling three collarbone injuries. Yes. End up winning. How many national titles did you win in North Dakota State while you were there? Believe it or not, five. <laughs> my, my very first year when I was a freshman, I mean, I got hurt early on, hence the six years. So, I mean, the whole thing was new to me. And then every year that I played, I guess I sat out a little bit of the second year too, but then we won five in a row after that. So I felt like I was there right at the beginning of the quote-unquote dynasty, they call it. <laughs> I don't think I've met many college football players there. Like, I was around for five championships. I was like, how does one even do that? <laughs> Most people are around for four years. Yeah. And I can say that I was there for five championships, let alone six years. <laughs> so how did that happen? That you're there? So six years, obviously injury-related. Injury how does that go down? Freshman year is your first injury? Yep, freshman year is my first injury. Got hurt during fall camp, so like right away. And then I took a red shirt – and then the next year, completely healthy, came back for spring ball, felt fine, got hurt during the second game, and then I decided, well, I can't redshirt. And then the um, athletic trainer and my guide coach was like, hey, did you consider taking a medical redshirt? And then I'm like, shoot, well, I go through one entire more year, then I stay for four more. And they said it's not something that I have to decide that at that time, but after my fifth year, I can choose to come back for a six if I want. So luckily I didn't have to choose my sophomore year when I'm 19 years old. Yeah, I want to stay here for five more years, you know. (laughs) But it was nice to have the option. So two injuries, two years in a row, and then I played for four. So you're a 20-year-old, technically redshirt freshman in your third year of college. Yes. How does that work with school when you are going on your sixth year? Like, how does that work with classes and your studies? How does that all mix into it? So I graduated in 
I guess, four and a half years technically or five years. So I had two full semesters where I didn't really, I mean, I could have taken any class I wanted to. I had to be enrolled in at least 12 credits because it's an NCAA rule that you have to be in the bare minimum. If I hadn't had graduated, I could be in one class because it's either you take as many credits as you need to graduate or you enroll in at least 12 credits. And I should have played it better (laughs) because if I would have just kind of slacked for four years, I could have technically graduated in six and just taken the bare minimum. But since I took, you know, 15, 17 credits or so, I graduated a little bit early, decided to get an art minor. So then I got an art minor for the next year that I was there, and then I took a couple fun classes too. (laughs) And you go out six years, five national championships, not a bad way to do it. You also – you had a brief uh, in, uh, encounter with the Vikings. Is that is that? A, I did, yes. What was that like? After I graduated, um, moved out to Austin, Texas to train. I lived with my uncle down there. Went through a whole training regimen. Came back, did pro day. Um, I got a lot of exposure, hence because of Carson, obviously. So I did some workouts with them. Um, Car- got- Car- uh, anybody who's listening, Carson Wentz, uh, oh, Carson was Wentz at yes. NDSU at the same time. <laughs> so that pro day, the way pro days work is that you either have to, correct me if I'm wrong, you can uh, go to the pro day of the school you went to or the state you're from. Yeah. Is that, is that the, correct? Yeah, there's rules behind it. But Why can I remember j- that and I forget? Why is that in my brain right now still? I'm not sure. I think you can choose to do two pro days. So I could have done the pro day at the Gophers because I'm from Minnesota. But then I could do the NDSU one. I don't know the total regulations behind it. But I ended up just doing the NDSU one. Tons of, I mean, NFL coaches were there because they were all looking at Carson. Um, Nothing came out of that. Obviously, Carson got picked up and drafted. Um I was living with a buddy that lived in Fargo at the time, and I didn't really know what I was doing. I was literally waiting for a phone call. I got a part-time job at Hornbacher's, which is basically the Fargo Cub Foods for people around here, um, because I needed to make some money. I didn't want to leave and get get a full-time job because I didn't want to get a job and then quit if I got called in. So I'm just literally sleeping on a buddy's couch, working part-time, working out in the mornings and afternoons. And then on a Sunday, no, Saturday night, I get a call from Coach Zimmern. And, oh, sorry. <laughs> he basically says, hey, is this Zach? And I said, yeah. He's like, yeah, Coach Zimmer, Minnesota Vikings. He's like, we'd lo- we've would uh, we been watching your film. Saw you at Pro Day. We'd love to have you um, come try out with us. And I'm literally sitting in my couch watching TV, and he's like, can you be here on Monday? Um, I will be there. and so i pack up my small bag that i have and then i headed back home um and then went to it was like a mini camp type thing so it's not like i got signed right on the Mm -hmm. spot i wasn't offered any money or anything um but i got invited with about 30 other people or so and they were all kind of in my shoes they wanted to make a team they weren't signed by anyone but they were just given a tryout and right when we showed up Unfortunately, I'm not sure if other NFL teams are like this, but there were 30 of us, and they said, all right, fellows, we got room for three people. He's like, look around. 27 of you are going to be gone by the end of this camp. Damn. And I'm looking at myself. Oh, I'm not great at math, but those odds aren't very good. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I mean, I enjoyed the heck out of it. Um, most of the guys that had been around for like five, ten years weren't there, but it was mo- mostly rookies, first year guys, practice squad guys, and then a couple other, you know, um, people on the squad that were here and there. But it was an awesome experience. What's your next move after that? Um, after that, I ended up leaving. Um, never got a call back. Basically, that's what they said. All right, go home for the weekend. If we want you back, we'll call you. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing happened to that. And then afterwards, I thought, well, it's time to welcome myself to the real world. (laughs) So I got a job with Milwaukee Tools. So I was selling power tools. Um, I mean, it was a pretty basic sales job for the time being. I knew it wasn't something I wanted to do for my entire life, but it was a good start, pretty good company. Um, And I started doing that. And then food came into play. When I moved back to Minnesota for good, and I realized how much awesome food spots there are here compared to Fargo, where there's a couple bars downtown, like <laughs> a burger shop, and you know that's about it. Yeah. And then when I came back here, my girlfriend and I at the time, because we weren't married, um, we were just going out to random restaurants. I started taking pictures of food here and there, and then people started reposting it. Bigger pages reposted it, and before I knew it, I was a food blogger man. I didn't even try <laughs> at what point did you realize you go am I a food blogger because it's it's it, it is these days you see everyone that starts taking pictures of food say I'm a food blogger mm-hmm. and I'm not getting the sense that you're that type of person so at what point in just taking pictures of food because you enjoy it and you're posting all of a sudden you're getting reposted and you're gaining a following at what point do you go I'm like am i a food blogger or is that ever something that is in your lexicon that th- that this is what I, I am i i never really thought of it at the time i just thought hey people like my pictures of food and then it, you know it just kind of went on for a while like that and then it finally hit me when i started getting invited to new restaurant openings if there were menu tastings if there was a menu change and I showed up with these people that I recognized that were like famous food bloggers. And I'm sitting <laughs> myself, oh, I'm on the same list as all these other people. And then at that time, I kind of realized that's I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, I'm not anybody that has 10,000 followers or crazy numbers like that. But once I actually started to get invited to certain events, that's when I thought, shoot, this is actually the real deal. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting being on the business side with me that I, I tend to see more engagement with uh, pages that don't have an insane amount of followers. The, like to me, there's almost more value in working with p- smaller creators like that because mm-hmm. their following is still engaged. They're highly engaged with the people commenting. They're highly engaged with what they're doing. And generally, it's people doing it just because they want to be doing it. It's not the whole like businessy, like, yeah, th- that whole thing when you get into the larger numbers that gets to be a bit, bit more daunting. Twin Cities Donut Brawl, is this something that came directly from your page or is this separate? Um, this was exactly, this was from the Vrauman Eats page. Um, so my partner at the time, Alex Ladner, she actually approached me. She knew how much I loved donuts. And I'd always, every now and then on my stories, I wanted to get a group together for like, a, you know, a donut crawl and go to all these different donut shops. And I never really thought of making a huge event out of it. And Alex is a big event planner and she does lots of things with local businesses um, and kind of like event planning. And then she approached me and said, hey, I think this would be a great time to do some type of big donut event. And then we talked about it, figured out the logistics of how it would work. Um, and then 
basically the Twin Cities Donut Brawl was born. How much planning ahead of time did it take before you went from concept to actually launching it? Oh, it was it was a long time. When you think about playing an event that's that big, I, I can't even remember how many people we had now, maybe 500 or so. Um, but it takes a lot of time because the hard part is you have to talk to all of the um, donut shops yeah, the and vendors, bake, yeah. yep, all the bakeries. You have to plan for a space. You have to make sure all the dates coordinate with everything. You have to work out how you're going to get tables and chairs and cups and coffee, you know, and everything and make sure the dates can work. People will pull out at the last minute. People won't respond to emails and, you know, just making sure you have to plan. I mean, shoot, six to eight months in advance is kind of when we started. Mm -hmm. And then we started inviting people um, and then it just started to grow and then slowly come together. But it it took quite a long time. So obviously 2020 took this year off for really fun reasons yep. how, many, how many years was it running prior to that literally just two um that's crazy because yeah. i i came in in the second one then and yep. line out the door i mean it was like raining and people are still willing to <laughs> wait like line around the block and just constant people of donuts and the concept's so simple but a donut is something that you don't get a chance to try a bunch of them side by side yeah. a lot of the time and so it made sense to me as i'm watching it and that was one of the first things that i go I should do something like this for coffee because that it clicked in my head that I go, there's n- not many opportunities to taste coffee side by side. Mm-hmm. So this obsession with donuts, and that's kind of where uh, I came up with the Midwest Coffee Tasters Championship idea is hosting that. And and so I definitely credit that to you and the Twin Cities Donut Brawl that it's like such a simple concept but executed so well. And it was really smooth, but I know now working with multiple vendors, especially when you're asking them like to give away free product it's it's an interesting ask and i think because you had the page you had credibility you'd obviously been to all of their shops they were probably aware of you as the donut guy in the twin cities that when you first reach out because i think that's one thing that some people might look at and be like i could do that i could Mm -hmm. reach out to what was how how many donut suppliers do you have in a given year i've probably been to every bakery in the greater twin cities Mm and every donut shop um, but it definitely helped that I had been to a lot of these places before. So when yeah. I reached out to the owners, they recognized me. Um, and a lot of them were down for it because nothing had really been done like this before. There was a donut crawl back in like 2014 or 15 that happened, um, but nothing came out of it. It only lasted for like a year or two. So a lot of the bakeries were actually excited when I reached out to them. And they're like, yeah, we remember doing something like this five years ago, and we're so glad it, you know, it's happening again. Yeah. It's, it seems so simple, but the coordination to get it all done, and then it's tough. Especially in my experience, I found that especially when you're working with somebody that's giving out free stuff, they're going to start asking back for a lot of stuff yeah. of like, I want to be at this table, I want to be here, I want to be doing this, I, I need this, and ready to advance, and you're like everybody gets the same treatment yeah, i'm sorry yeah. and it's like the it's a very difficult thing and so i really appreciate events that you go to and you don't even notice that these things are all happening because i think mm-hmm. now having planned a couple by myself that you realize how much goes into something that seems so simple in execution and such a such a good idea um and i was obviously uh this year was heartbreaking to not see it go down and we we're going to supply coffee for that again but mm-hmm. Hopefully, some 
time soon-ish uh, yeah. in 2021, we'll be able to get these events going back up and people will be more excited than ever. Yeah, I was thinking about setting a date for it already sometime in 2021 because it got, it was supposed to be, I think like in the um, early, or actually had it scheduled for spring. It was the f- in the fall of the year before. And I was thinking about, oh, let's just reschedule it to the fall. You know, this will be over in, you know, four months. And then once, you know, the news started, more information was being gathered. I was thinking, this, I don't even know if this is going to be done in like a year or so. So for the time being, it's just canceled. But I would love to see it happen again, you know, yeah. next summer or that happened you know, with next us. fall, whatever. It that happened be. with us in the coffee tasters. Like, oh, we'll push it six months out. Yeah. It'll be like more than ready. And yeah, then right. that thing came and people were like, I assume this is happening. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. 2022. Yeah. I don't, then it'll be interesting to see at what point that it is cool to start putting events on the calendar. And it's like for sure going to happen. It's yeah. so weird. Mm-hmm. Now, before we move on to your venture now. I am curious to pick your brain about Instagram because it's like I continue to go back and forth about Instagram right now. Has it changed for you over like the past year? I've I've just noticed that Instagram and social media, there's new channels like TikTok is emerging. Uh, Facebook is kind of becoming like where older people yell at each other. And then Instagram kind of is like trying to do the TikTok thing with reels. They're trying to do the shopping thing like Facebook and they're trying. Mm -hmm. uh, How has it changed for you within the last year or so as you continue to grow your page and uh, engage with your following? I feel like what you Instagram used to be was just very basic. I mean, you post a photo, people like it, they comment on it. That's what Instagram was. I loved it. People loved it. But then once people started coming out with new avenues of social media, like you were saying, TikTok and everything else, Instagram kind of tried to be everything so people didn't have a reason to leave Instagram so you can come to Instagram and watch TikTok you can watch reels you can click on a sponsored ad and buy something straight from Instagram and I feel like Instagram grew but the original quality and content of Instagram kind of got lost and so the people that I guess were big back in the day that were on Instagram and the originality of it kind of diminished from it. Because I've noticed uh, as they change the algorithm for how you view pictures and stories, especially, because even stories is something that now we think of as like, yeah, of course, Instagram is stories. It's a big thing. When it first came out, everybody was like, ah, they're ripping off Snapchat. This <laughs> yeah, is so right. garbage. Like, I'm not going to use these freaking... And now no one uses Snapchat. Now no one uses Snapchat. <laughs> so everyone with Reels yeah. is like, ah, this is garbage. And I'm like, I don't know. I think they kind of keep nailing it. But even st- like stories and pictures, the way you're engaging with them, I've noticed recently that I watch I don't know, maybe like five people's stories a day, mm-hmm. but it keeps just feeding the same five baits. Cause I usually just watch it in order and I just, for whatever reason, made I noticed the, the same thing. Yep. I made the realization cause our, our stories just are so up and down depending on what we're posting about. And it's like, that's what I've noticed is that if you, if somebody hasn't watched your stuff for a few days, you get pushed way down the line cause they're going, Oh, they don't want this content. Have mm-hmm. you noticed with your stories or with your post the engagement gets affected by how often you're posting or what type of stuff you're posting it does you're almost forced to be posting you know every day every other day because if you don't for whatever reason instagram kind of just pushes you back and if people don't click on your story 
the more they click on your story from day to day, the more you get bumped up to the first of their feed. So if you guys kind of unconsciously realize the first stories that you look at when you open up Instagram, those are usually the people that post every single day on their story. Not necessarily their post, but their story. So I, on my ice cream page, there's this ice cream shop in Philadelphia. He posts a story literally every single day. He probably posts 20 stories maybe. Every time I open up Instagram every morning, he's the very first person that I see. And it's probably because that since he posts every day and I click on him every day, the likelihood of his page to hop to the front totally increases. So for people that post very infrequently or at odd times, people aren't going to see their page as much. So the algorithm forces you to Mm. be on a schedule and to post very frequently. That explains a lot, actually, because I get I'll I'll go on like story posting like frenzies when we have something big going on mm-hmm. but then other days it's just like i'm actually busy like we're actually doing stuff and i don't have the time to post and it's during those times that i notice it start dipping and so mm-hmm. it's not necessarily the fact that you are posting so many stories a day but it's that there's always a story oh and so if you think about it this way is not even are you posting once a day but i mean think of how many times you check instagram in a day well yeah if every time you checked it that account has a new story you're way more likely to engage with that story. That story is going to get pushed mm-hmm. all the way to the front. And then whether it's your favorite account or whether it's the account you want to follow the most, they're going to be getting pushed there. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I need to employ that strategy. <laughs> and it's probably similar to, I've noticed it with messages too. So people that I frequently DM or just direct message, their stories will pop up to the front too, even if it's even if they don't post stories that often so i think it's just engagement in general yeah so the more engagement you have with somebody the more likelihood they're gonna pop hop to the top of posts and stories so maybe it would even make more sense to with your stories have it where you're posting uh at like random intervals throughout the day so that as people pop back on there's a new story for them versus what i do is usually just post it all at once and you know then you get to just click through where they watch it all yeah. in 10 seconds or they just and- swipe yeah, swipe it, swipe next. it, and skip the next one. Yeah. So maybe that's the best way to do it is like so that you don't look up and see there's ten and skip the whole thing. You yep. just go, oh, I'll watch this one, and then later there's one I'll watch, and then all of a sudden every time you post a story, this person's watching and they're they're highly engaged. Yeah, yeah. That that's been the big thing I've been trying to wrap my head around, and I think we may have just figured that out. Yeah, and Instagram changes the algorithm so it's often so too because there there's sometimes where there's somebody that I follow and I won't see their post for a couple days. And then, because I know it's something that I see from them every day, and I feel like they're just the programmers and the software people are probably always trying to change and make it better. Yeah. So I mean, it it, it could all change next week. Who yeah. really knows? But right now, I think that's how it works. You get the post that says like one day sale, and you're like, oh damn, that's a good sale. You <laughs> click on it from three days ago, and you're yeah. like, what the hell? This yeah. algorithm. Um, that's that's actually I'm gonna I'm gonna tr- I'm gonna mess around with that. I'm gonna try to schedule out some story posting and see if that changes how people interact with it. That might yeah. that might be interesting over the next couple of weeks here. So, you're working at Milwaukee, uh, Milwaukee Tools. Where were you working when you were working for them? Um, I was here. So I worked with, I sold at Home Depots, basically, um, and a couple other companies. But it was mainly there around the Twin Cities, south of the Twin Cities. Right when I graduated, I lived at home for about a year. So I was down south of the cities, and then I got an apartment. But my territory was 
south of the cities for the most part. So you're selling tools by day. Yep. Food posting on the side. Yep. At it's what point? Life. In here, <laughs> and then I, I presumably launched Twin Cities Donut Brawl during all of this too. Yep. How does this end up lead to what you're doing now with A to Z Creamery? Which, by the way, I honestly did not realize it was your brand, and I knew about it, which is a very good really? sign. Yeah, no, I'd seen like That's three funny. or four people post about it. And I was like, oh, I hadn't heard of this one before. Yeah. Uh, and I did not realize it was yours until <laughs> you were coming in for this episode, yeah. which is honestly, maybe it's a bad sign for the algorithm that I follow you closely, yeah. but I didn't know you were doing this. But it's a good sign for you that yeah. I was aware of it before even knowing it was yours. <laughs> Yeah, so it um it started shoot back probably March, honestly, right when COVID started. So I got an ice cream maker from my mom for my birthday, which was in February. And I've been a foodie my whole life. I mean, I love food. I love going to restaurants. Food blogging aside, I just have a passion for food and I've always wanted to be in the food industry working. Um the opportunities I interviewed for a couple food jobs right away but then milwaukee came up kians who i work for now um happened but then when i got this ice cream machine from my mom i started experimenting with funky flavors you know i just wanted to try some unique stuff that when you go to a grocery store there's not many choices i mean ben and jerry's comes out with pretty cool flavors every now and then but for the most part you're finding cookie dough cookies and cream you know, strawberry, whatever it may be, but nobody's doing totally out of the box flavors. So I started experimenting with it at home so I can try it out for myself. Made it for me, my wife, my family, my friends. I started posting about it on the food page mm-hmm. and people started saying, Hey, are you, are you selling this? Like, where are you making this? I'm like, oh, I'm making it at my house. And then people started offering me money for it. And then, you know, people would throw me a $10 bill for a pint of ice cream here and there. Um, And then people would post about it, word of mouth, and how Instagram works. Somebody posts about it, I get 10 new followers. Mm -hmm. And then they follow me, they pick up ice cream, 10 new followers there. And before I know it, I have this whole, like, crew of people that are waiting for ice cream, basically, from me every day. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I could, like, actually sell this stuff. So I started making ice cream in the mornings and at night before work, just literally in my kitchen. And I made a new flavor pretty much every day, but it was super small batches. I had one really small machine, mm-hmm. the thing where you have the frozen bowl and you put it in your freezer. Yeah. And I'd make like 10 pints. And then I'd take a picture of it. I'd say, hey, this is up for grabs. Um, I would literally get 150 messages <laughs> and I would only have 10 pints available. And I'm like, Hey, first 10 messages, the people get it. I would get 200 messages and I would have to filter through all of these things and say, it's the first 10 people and I'd message them and then they'd pick it up. And at that time I really didn't know what I was going to do. Like, am I going to make this into a business? Am I just going to keep doing it? Like, what am I going to do? Um, and then I, what are you, what are you calling it at this point? What are you, what are you packaging it in? Where are you getting those materials? What are you calling it? There's there's so many like avenues, like tangents I can go on right now. First question. Okay. At this point, did you have your cottage food license or were you just slinging? 
At first, I was slinging. That's uh, <laughs> my my boy Bradley over at Donut Trap. He, yeah, he, he used to be called Dude Nuts, but now he's Donut Trap. And yeah, he calls it that because he's like, no, I'm straight trapping. <laughs> <laughs> well, because at first I had no plans to sell it or do anything. I was literally making it for fun. Yeah, but then people would offer me money for it, and at the time I didn't really think of it because I'm like, well, this isn't a business, so I don't need a license. Yeah. But then people actually sent me messages and they're like, hey, are you certified? Are you like in a commercial kitchen? Have it's a you- very fine line between yeah. I gave I gave my buddy some food and he paid me back for it too. Yeah. All of a sudden it's like, I don't really know this person and they're buying from me. Exactly. Uh, so then I'm th- I would respond to these people. I'm like, no, I'm just making it for fun. They're like, oh, you should really look into this. Like you can't just make this out of your kitchen and sell it. Haters. <laughs> yeah. And then I looked into it and I applied for a cottage food license after applying for it and actually looking into what a cottage food license mean. It doesn't apply to ice cream. <laughs> I was going to say, it, it doesn't have dairy. <laughs> yeah. And the cottage food license is honestly kind of a joke to get. It's um, concerningly easy. Yeah. I got it within 20 minutes, mm-hmm. maybe. So you go online, you read a PowerPoint. You fill out your information and you click accept and you have your cottage food license. Mm-hmm. Literally, I mean, you can you can read through the whole PowerPoint. And it would probably take you like two hours, but it's like the things where you read to the bottom, accept all terms and conditions. Mm-hmm. Nobody reads the terms and conditions. So once I realized that this didn't apply to ice cream, I did all this research to figure out what business license do I need for ice cream, and that put me into a whole black hole of shit that I need basically reached out to the health department the Minnesota Department of Agriculture the city the FDA got all these different licenses I had an inspector come out to your your home well to the commercial kitchen okay you skipped that sorry I I skipped that part (laughs) no so so you find a kitchen yep I posted on my story and said hey I'm trying to expand this business I want to be able to make ice cream for you guys legally yeah so somebody helped me out and helped me find a kitchen basically because at this time I had quite a few followers so I'm thinking somebody's got to know a place where I can make ice cream and this place called Curate owned by Apex Kitchen they Mm -hmm. actually sent me a message and said hey we've been following you we're located in St. Louis Park we got a commercial kitchen for you here if you want to work with us. And so I met the owner, really cool guy, ends up living literally two blocks away from me. We're about the same age. Um, they have an ice cream machine, commercial kitchen, top of the line, brand new. They had built it in March, and they opened up in March, and then they got shut down with COVID. So they were trying to find any business they could. So I'm basically going there paying rent, helping them, while they're struggling because they can't have clients in. So we're helping each other out. Um, So the inspector came out there. They inspected the facility. They had already been inspected by the state and by the county. So everything was good to go. Um, And then from there, I started, I increased from, I think, like 10 to 50 and then 50 to 100. And now I'm making about 150 flavors or pints pints at a time. Yeah. How many days a week now are you slinging 150 pints of ice cream? Um, I'm making that many, like one to two times a week. Okay. I'm in the kitchen almost every day. Um, after work, uh, I'll do some stuff in the morning sometimes. Um, but I am still working a full-time job. I don't know how that's, how long that's gonna, I guess, be the case if I really want to grow this business. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's another story and things, you know, I have to plan for. Um, but I am pretty much doing ice cream every day. 
How did you, uh, at what point during this process did you have a formal name? So when you're in your home kitchen, yep. do you have a name for this or is it literally just, oh, Vra Money Eats is making, making ice cream. Do you want some? It was, I mean, I was making this from my Vra Money Eats page mm-hmm. and then I realized this little ice cream gang that followed me that wanted ice cream all the time. Um, it was hard to keep my food page and my ice cream page separate because the ice cream side, I just wanted to focus on ice cream. But then I had this food side where I still wanted to, you know, have donuts and review burgers and pizza and everything. And it just kind of clashed. So I said, oh, well, let's just make a ice cream page. So then people can follow me there. All these DMs that I can filter through will be in one page. Mm-hmm. And then I can keep my other page separate. Um, and I just named it Vramani Creamery. So... I had the Vramani Eats page and Vramani Creamery. And then when I realized that I actually want to make this into a business and make it legit, I thought to myself, Vramani Creamery isn't the most logical (laughs) business name. Kind of like Bradley with Sued Nuts and Donut (laughs) Trap. Like people look at it. it, It's cool because Vramani was my uh, nickname in college. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a cool thing for me, but it doesn't really make sense to the public and everybody else. So I thought to myself, you know, what's a good name that I, actually, I can actually name this? And A to Z came out uh, or came about by creating f- unique flavors um, from A to Z or in letters from A to Z, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And it turns out that my wife's name is Alex and mine's Zach. So this is kind of like Alex to Zach Creamery. So it's kind of a two-way deal that works out pretty well. Nice. Yeah. When you're choosing your flavors, how do you go about deciding? Because uh, at this point, you've referenced like funky flavors, different flavors, fun flavors. Give me an example of some and like how you go about deciding those and what makes a difference from other ice creams on the market. Yeah. So a couple of the cooler, more unique flavors have been Flaming Hot Cheetos. Um, I've done a take on elote corn with corn on the cob ice cream, cotija cheese, and cornbread crumble. Um, but then I'll also do, well, I should guess I should say I'll do very out-of-the-box flavors. Those two are kind of middle of the road. I'll <laughs> do like a dill pickle and peanut butter. I've done a blue cheese with shortbread crust and honey pear compote. And I've done a pronto pup with ketchup and mustard, believe it or not. <laughs> so I do experiment with those just because, one, I want to see how it will actually work. Two, people, it might bring in a new audience for people that are absolute hot dog fans, you know, that don't really like ice cream. So yeah. it kind of broads my audience. Um, but at the same time, I'll make, you know, your standard cookie dough, cookies and cream. Um, but I'll put a little A to Z spin on it is kind of what I say. Um, so with like apple pie, I won't just do like apple pie and caramel. I'll do apple pie with like cinnamon caramel and apple pie chunks, or I'll take an original flavor and then put a spin on it to make it a little more unique and high quality basically. And, and that's the type of stuff it takes to stick out really. Cause even, even if I would never wake up in the morning and say, you know, what sounds really good today is a dill pickle and peanut butter ice cream. Yeah. But having heard you say that, I go, damn it, I want to try that. And so exactly. even even if it's not the type of thing where I go, this is what I want, I'm still thinking this is what I want <laughs> to try. And if you can make something like that taste really good, yeah. then they're going, oh, I want to try the classics too. Because if they can make this taste good, then the classics must taste really good too. 
what has the response been from consumers? Has because the risk with flavors like this is if someone gets it and it is just kind of like gimmicky or it is mm-hmm. just kind of a one time thing. You know, there there's some beers like that I think of where it's like you, you see it, you taste it, you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting, but I would never get another one of these. How's yeah. the response been from the consumers on these like really weird flavors? Um, actually, pretty good. I haven't got any. I should say I've gotten very few. Probably I can count on the number of times on one hand that people just say I don't like this flavor at all. But that's those are the flavors. The Prano Pup, I got, I think, two messages there. And, I mean, I'm selling 150 of these pints. And if I'm only getting two <laughs> responses that say I don't like this, honestly, that that's a win for me mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Um, but the way the business model works is I'll come out with one flavor at a time. And if I come out with something funky and out of the box and people don't like it, they're never going to see that flavor again because I make one flavor, I have 150 pints of it, and then I'll move on to the next flavor. It's not something where I have a dill pickle and peanut butter and I keep it in stock for good. I'll make it once and it won't happen again. So if people don't like it, well, next week you might like something else. In the next 10 flavors, you might like those. So it's nice because even if somebody doesn't like a flavor, the likelihood of them liking the next flavor or the flavor after that goes up a lot more. What was it like going from kitchen to commercial sized batches? What kind of research did you have to do on ingredients and sourcing to be able to scale up to a commercial level and still maintain the quality that you wanted? Um, So quite a bit. Um, Most of the recipes that I used when I was just working out of my house um, I took probably, I mean, I did a lot of R&D and different recipe testing to figure out like what my ideal recipe or ingredients are. Um, and everything was in terms of cups, basically, you know, one cup of milk, one cup of cream, one cup of sugar and things like that. And when I'm moving into a commercial kitchen, I'm making 15, 20 gallon batches. You're not going to take a little cup one cup, two cup, three cup, four cup. So then I started to get together this math ratio. So instead of using cups and milliliters and things to basically make the ice cream, I did it all in percentages. So I have a percentage of milk and cream and sugar, and then I convert that into grams. So I have this huge scale. I'll put a huge pot or container. I'll take a 25-pound bag of sugar and just pour it into this vat until I get my precise amount. And then I cook it over this huge brazing pan that can hold about 15 gallons worth. So going from just a little pot over the stove to huge commercial kitchen equipment was a big change, but just being able to alter my recipe. And luckily the kitchen had all this stuff for Mm -hmm. me, so I didn't have to go out and figure out what I need. They had it for me, which was a nice help. Um, But just getting used to it and converting the recipes was a little bit of a change. And this is fascinating to me because this is so the opposite of every other food business that I've had on here where they have the product, they have the thing, they are making it, doing R&D, and then they go, okay, we're ready to launch. We got to go find customers. And it's almost like you took this opportunity of having this built-in following that you built through your uh, Instagram page and were able to almost accidentally, in a way, turn this into a thing that you love doing for fun at home and all of a sudden turns into this business. And those are the really, yeah. co- those are the compelling businesses where you're, you're like, I don't like need to do this. I don't like, I, I don't necessarily even 
want to start this business in a weird way, but because mm-hmm. it's working, I want to now <laughs> and yeah. because it is something I enjoy doing. And the commercial kitchen's definitely the way to go. Yeah. How's that been? What was that process like with the Department of Agriculture and all of them with the kit? Once you found that commercial kitchen, mm-hmm. how was that process and getting all those certifications once you were there? Once you were there? It took quite a long time. <laughs> um, I had to talk to a lot of people. I got forwarded on to tons of different agents and project managers and things of that nature. Um, it was more or less just a lot of forms I had to fill out. The amount of like inspections and on-site work was pretty limited, um, but there were just a lot of forms that go into mm-hmm. it because you have to certify your LLC, then you have to get a DBA, which is doing business as, um, and then you have to pay a fee for all that. And then once you have that, you have to get inspected or you have to basically say what type of business you are. Once you figure out what type of business you are, then you have to contact that agency. So it was a lot of just working down the line. You start here, talk to this person, get certified, move on to the next step. And there were probably about a dozen or 20 different steps that I had to go through before it was all said and done. Get the hats of procedure, the yeah. hazard action, critical control points of every yeah. single step of making it, what could go wrong. And then if it did go wrong, how do you prevent that? What preventative steps do you have here? And yeah. It's so funny because as I'm filling these things out, the answer so often for coffee is like, I, I look at it, make sure it's <laughs> like not like, just make sure it looks safe. And yeah. they're like, okay. And you're like, oh, that's, that's what you need for that step? Okay. And then there's other parts where like, you're like, I don't have anything for this. And they're like, where's your recall procedure? Where's your, all these different things in place. And so dependent on who you talk to. Mm -hmm. At one point I was talking to, I won't, I'll leave organizations out of it, but I was talking to somebody from one organization and they say, it's going to be really hard to get this certified with us. It'd be easier to go with this other one. And I was like, wait, so two organizations that both work for Minnesota, you're telling me you might not certify me, but that another one would certify me to do the exact same thing we're doing. It's just like who you talk to, when you talk to them, like what forms you have filled out. And, uh, the, the commercial kitchen, we did that with Phil Terra on the cold brew side. And fortunately, Brandon is like beyond detailed. And, uh, I think a lot of the time is just having all that stuff up front, all the notes and everything they might need makes that whole process so much easier. But having the facility built and already inspected. So you're just going, I'm working here and I just more or less need to prove to you that I'm safe in my procedures. Yeah. And that's kind of how it was with me too. Mm -hmm. Since the, this curate kitchen had already been certified, I just showed up. I'm like, Hey, this is where I'm going to be working. And she said, okay, well, has it been inspected? They gave her over the sheet that the County had inspected it. And then I think she just looked at like the fridge and the freezer, you know, to make sure that um, everything was in the temperature rating, looked at my ice cream machine. And then from there it was, you know, pretty much good since they had and been forms, certified forms, already. Forms, yeah, forms, more forms. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. I'm so good. It's that, that's just, it's, it's really exciting to me to hear that. Um, I, I I can't wait to try it. And I'm like, honestly, a little embarrassed that I didn't know it was yours. I was I like, get you set up with I, something. I was for real. Because I saw it. I was like, Oh, I, a to Z. I, somebody posted about it that I was like, oh, I've been dying to try this. And I was like, huh. <laughs> so funny. I was like, I haven't heard of that, which is weird because I'm usually pretty on the ball when it comes to this. So I was yeah. like, I'll have to check that out. And then I reached out to you. And mm-hmm. then I, I was like, oh, my God, this is him, <laughs> which is so exciting to see because I actually did know you were making ice cream in your kitchen and slinging yeah. them out of your kitchen. So it's, it's so funny that somewhere along the line, this 
Maybe it's the Instagram algorithm we were talking about yep. messed with me and I lost contact with what you're doing, but yeah. And I've, I kept it, um, pretty separate just because I'm not a big fan or a uh, proponent of people that like push their businesses or like on their personal page, they always like post about their job or they try and do all this selling like on yeah. a personal side, like keep your personal and business separate. Like if I follow you because I want to know like what you're doing on weekends and where you're eating, don't tell me about like, no offense to like real estate people, but don't tell me about like your real estate or people that are trying to sell insurance. Don't be posting about food and then say, Hey, do you want some financial advice? It's like, just keep it separate, please. Like I will reach out to you if I need something. So for me, I know ice cream and food kind of go hand in hand. But I kept food very separate and ice cream very separate. I think that's really smart for your own personal life, too, is uh, I think when you start to promote, which like my personal Instagram page, I keep it private. It's literally, I think, just people that know me, follow me. And I post Mm -hmm. a ton of coffee stuff there, but it's still like it's still my private personal page. And it's not like my it's not a food page. It's just mostly pictures of coffee and other stuff that I do. Yeah. Uh, And it, it does feel a little gross when you've. When you know someone or follow someone, and you're like, "Is this an what? Are, what are we doing here?" Like, yeah, the, I've I've referenced this before on the podcast, but it's like, "What's your brand?" And I'm like, "Oh, you, you mean Folly? Like it's a, the coffee?" <laughs> They're like, "No, no, 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 you Rob, what's your brand?" And I'm like, "What are you talking?" I get it gets so <laughs> gross. Uh, coffee i guess yeah i don't know what do you mean and so that's why it's smart that i think you separate them out because you're like this food stuff is what you do for fun it's what it's like you enjoy it Mm -hmm. and the second you feel like you need to do something to promote business it can get gross and so to separate it out and just have it be like i'm gonna sell you the stuff you like if you want it it's over here else i'm gonna be selling it to you over here Mm -hmm. promoting it cross promoting is obviously a great strategy but then it's totally separate and they know Hey, if I want to get sold to, if I want to see what's going on, if I want to buy these products, I head over here versus here's where I just enjoy like the the food content, which I, I think that's a smart thing. And it's, it is a tough decision because you have such a good following and such an engaged following that there is probably a little bit of pressure of like, oh, I'd love to be posting about the ice cream more here. Mm-hmm. But I think long term with ice cream, uh, it's better to keep it separate. Do you have... Uh, like for your website, do you, are you, uh, have a way of collecting emails and all that good stuff? Yep. So on the, on the website, a to z creamery.com, you can subscribe on the bottom of the page to, um, basically get put on an email list. So every time I release a flavor, you'll get a notification or an email that says, um, pecan pie, whatever it is, um, is available. So go online and order. So you can get an email that way or I'll post on Instagram on a story that says this flavor is live. So there's two different ways that you can get notified. Um, what uh, what website platform are you using? Uh, Wix. <clears throat> Wix. I'm yep. not super familiar with Wix. Do they have the option to do a pop-up where it's like save 10% off on your next order if you sign up? Oh. Um, I don't know if they have that. I would, hi- would- Dude, that's one of the things I learned during COVID. Yeah. Email list, man. Because even if someone's like, I want to know, oh, I follow them on Instagram. I'll see it when they post on Instagram. But Mm -hmm. here's the problem is what we were just talking about is stuff can get lost. I might email will literally get sent to you and sent at that time. Yeah, there's exactly. And so you might have people that actually want to buy your product or do they want to try every new flavor that comes out and they go, I follow them on Instagram Mm -hmm. because not many people go out of their way to sign up for stuff like your super devoted customers was we're like we'll do that but it's these customers that like 
they're not going to seek it out. But if they're like, oh, yeah, I do want that. And one of the things I've taken away from uh, just these whole closures is like email list is definitely our number one focus right now. Mm -hmm. I would definitely look into that because I'm going to sign up for it because I like these (laughs) when I get I'm so jaded sometimes when you're like, (laughs) we have really unique flavors. I'm like. All right, bud. Yeah. <laughs> like, we had a raspberry swirl to this one. You're yeah. Like, uh-huh. So those flavors sound really, really cool. Okay. Um, so A to Z mm-hmm. uh, on Instagram. Instagram A to Z Creamery. And yep. you obviously got the Vra Money Eats. Yep. We'll keep an eye out for Twin Cities Donut Brawl when things get back to normal. Yep. Anything Hopefully else? Next, anything next else you want to plug or promote? That's about it. I mean, I got the donuts. I got the personal page right now. I'm trying to grow A to Z creamery as much as possible. So that's awesome. We'll have to do some sort of giveaway or something. Try to get that. Try to get that bumped up a bit. Yeah, let's do, do it. Do some cross promoting here, man. Yeah. That's Maybe a, a folly coffee flavor. I'd be so know? down for that. You Cold know, I would be. coffee beans. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah. You know, I'd be down for that for sure. Sick. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, I will end it like I end every other one and say, "Have a nice day." Yeah.